Moi, 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 moi. Last week on uh, one of the episodes, I can't remember which one, um, go to one of our nine different social media avenues and you will certainly find it. Uh, Chris had introduced, Chris first introduced me to Walter Cherpinski and the WalterFootball.com website. And uh, as I mentioned in that episode last week, how beneficial and how helpful uh, going to that website has been for me. I think I've got fair to Midland knowledge in the National Football League, but you go onto this website and let me tell you, um, you get knocked down a few notches with all the information that Walter provides. It's an unbelievable website. And for all football fans that want to know a little bit more about your favorite team or your favorite players, I would strongly suggest going on to the WalterFootball.com website to only enhance your football knowledge. But we had such a good time last week, and I, I did, and I think Chris did, um, and I hope he did. But I had such a good time last week with, we looked at some of the biggest draft busts in NFL history, the top 10 at least. And um, I want to take it one step further this week. I took it to, uh, I want to go through the top 10 worst free agent signings in National Football League history. And... Um, there are some really there are some names that you're going to know. There's some names on this list that you're probably not going to remember, but I did a little background check and found out one of the reasons why these ten players uh, didn't last long after they they uh, found their you know that that gold that gold pot at the end of the of the end of the rainbow. But uh, we're going to start. I'm going to give my ten through six. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give my first five, so numbers 10 through 6, and then Chris and I will go through the final five. It'll be interesting to see if there's any Crossover. crossovers between what I think are the top 10 and what Walter thinks are the top 10. And I, I will say this for clarity. In regard to this, I did not go to Walter's website for this. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I went right from my head. Mm-hmm. And these are the 10 boneheads. (laughs) They're rich boneheads, but the 10 boneheads, in my mind, that uh, comprise, compile, comprise, whatever, a list of the top 10 worst free agent signings in NFL history. Number 10 for me was a defensive tackle by the name of Daniel Stubblefield. He was made his mark with the San Francisco 49ers, but he signed his big ticket item with the Washington Redskins. After recording a career-high 15 sacks for the 49ers in 1997, Stubblefield signed a six-year, $36 million deal, uh, again, in the offseason of 1997 into the 98 season. Stubblefield recorded just over seven sacks in the next three years and was released in 2001. That's number 10. Number nine CFL fans will remember this guy, and of course a lot of NFL t- fans too, and he's also married to one of the most beautiful Playboy models in the world, Jeff Garcia. Uh, again, fans, fans in Calgary will remember him for winning a great cup or two as the quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders, 
But this is in regard to the 10 worst free agent signings in NFL history, folks. And Garcia with the Cleveland Browns. And you'll get a, you'll get a, if you're paying attention, you'll get a whiff of what's seemingly obvious here is when we rattle off these teams between one through 10 or 10 to one, excuse me, you'll see that these are crappy teams that are always going for a quick fix. Mm -hmm. And, you know, realistically, draft and development is still the best way to go. You can augment by free agency, but when you live and die by free agency, a lot of these teams are just dying due to free agency. So let's go to number nine on my list, Jeff Garcia, Cleveland Browns. In 2004, after three Pro Bowl seasons in San Francisco, the Browns signed Garcia to a four-year, $25 million deal. After a 3-7 and seven record in his first 10 starts in Cleveland, Garcia was released after just one season in Cleveland. Number eight on my list, you may not know this name. I know Chris probably does, but uh, a wide receiver originally from the Ohio State University, David Boston, and that's why he made this list because, A, he's a jerk from the Ohio State University. But David Boston in 2003 signs a seven-year, $47 million contract with the San Diego Chargers after a great start to his career with the Arizona Cardinals. After displaying a bad attitude that included cursing out one of the team's assistant coaches, Boston was traded to Miami after just one season. Number seven on my list, moving right along, Andre Bad Moon Risen. Andre Risen of the Cleveland Browns, and he was with a shitload of teams. And remember, he was with the Green Bay Packers during their Super Bowl 31 run in 1996. He played an integral part. In fact, he caught the first touchdown pass in Super Bowl 31 from Brett Favre about two minutes into the game that led the Packers to their 35-21 to victory over the New England Patriots again in Super Bowl 31. But this wide receiver's one season in Cleveland may be considered the most devastating in NFL history. Ryzen signed a five-year, $17 million deal in 1995 that included, listen to this, a $5 million signing bonus that then-team owner Art Modell had to take out loans to pay. (laughs) Funny, at the end of the year, Ryzen ripped Browns fans to shreds and cheered the team's move to Baltimore, though he had already been released and obviously didn't join the team to its new home in the state of Maryland. Classy guy, Andre Risen. Number six, another wide receiver, Javon Walker, Oakland Raiders. Injuries derailed this wide receiver's career after stops in Green Bay and Denver, but that didn't stop the Oakland Raiders from signing Walker to a six-year, $55 million deal in 2008. Injuries got him again, and after just three games into the 2009 season, So his second season in Oakland, the Raiders released him. Now we get to the big five. Do you want me to start with my number five? No, no, I'll I'll start with this one here. So uh, only one of those guys that you said is in Walter's top five. I'll just say that. Give Walt. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, what was Walter's six through ten then? He didn't have a top ten. Oh, he just did the top five. These lists are just top five for him. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, no problem. Okay, so... At number five, we have a gentleman named Nate Allen, a safety from the Raiders. Four years, $23 million, $11.8 million guaranteed. Uh, Walt said, I thought the signing was so bad when it happened. I honestly checked if the person who broke the news was posting from a verified Twitter account. <laughs> the account was indeed verified. 
Uh, I had to wait until someone else with a fancy blue check mark next to their name confirmed the story, and then I made sure the decimal point on both figures wasn't misplaced. That's because a four-year, $2.3 million contract with $1.8 million guaranteed would have made so much more sense for Nate Allen. In fact, it still would have been too much. Uh, his original, so his uh, signing when it, his uh, reaction when it happened, Walt was. Uh, I don't get it. So this is no benefit of hindsight. This is right when it happened. Right. I don't get it. Allen was one of the worst starting safeties in the NFL last year. He was partly responsible for the ineptitude of Philadelphia's secondary, and the team was more than happy to watch him walk away in free agency. Allen wouldn't have gotten a quarter of the value of this deal from anyone else, so why in the world did Oakland give him all this money? It makes absolutely no sense. And then, of course, the funny thing is, uh, after he was released after one season, then the Raiders actually re-signed him more for a deal more like what Walt originally said. Uh, one year, $3 million, $1.8 million guaranteed. Exactly pretty much what he said. So anyway, he was a part-time player for the Raiders in 2016 and then wasn't invited back by the team. Wow. My number five of the top 10 worst free agent signings in NFL history. And uh, as we welcome you into this 433rd episode of Unscripted, my number five list. Daryl Gardner. Now, a lot of people may not remember this guy, but he was a hell of a defensive tackle back in the day. Daryl Gardner, though, uh, got his pot of gold from the Denver Broncos. The Broncos gave the former number, excuse me, the former first round pick and defensive tackle, the Miami Dolphins, a seven year, $35 million deal in 2003. Soon upon arriving in Denver, Gardner was involved in a brawl at a Denver International House of Pancakes. And that led to wrist surgery, which led to two suspensions from the team for conduct conduct detrimental to the team and ultimately led him to getting released after just five games in which he recorded only five tackles. That's amazing. That's amazing. You give a guy a seven-year contract and he only lasts five games and and the, and the, the, the start of his problems happens from a brawl inside a Denver International House of Pancakes. <laughs> okay, a real good start there. Number uh, number five or number four now for Walter, please. All right. So, And I'm sure there's going to be some crossover sure. on, at the top of the, at these lists here. There should be. Yeah. Although the guy... See, and most of this stuff is a little before my time, before I was really into the NFL. So, you know, I if I was going to make a list, it would be mostly more recent signings or else just signings I don't have an emotional connection to. I'm just looking back and researching. So that's why I'm not bothering. I'm just going to But remember, I will say this. Full-fledged free agency in the National Football League didn't really start until 1993. Remember that. They had Mm -hmm. Plan B in 1992, which didn't quite work. 1993, I'll always remember that because the Green Bay Packers really changed the face of their franchise in 93 when they signed Reggie White. Mm-hmm. That was the first Reggie White signed the big contract at the time, which was four years and $16 million. Can you imagine what Reggie White would be worth today in his prime? Mm-hmm. It would be a hell of a lot more than $16 bucks. So, yes, um, I go a lot farther than you do back in NFL history. But remember, full-fledged, 
full-fledged free agency didn't really hit the National Football League until 1993. Okay, well, maybe what I'll do is I will give my top two when we get to that. Sure. Maybe that's what I'll do. And that's just for since I've been really paying attention to the NFL, and it's not a deep dive. I I could have forgotten about someone that I saw them sign, someone sign a few years ago that, you know, at the time I just thought is ridiculous. Maybe I just forgot about them because they're so irrelevant. But I'll do a top two just for fun here. But anyway, so moving on to number four on Walter's list, it's Neil O'Donnell, quarterback for the Jets. Five years, $25 million. Good one. So, uh, Walt says there have been only a handful of poor NFL quarterbacks who have participated in the Super Bowl this century, as only Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson, and the decrepit version of Peyton Manning from Super Bowl 50 come to mind. Things have changed as the NFL has become a passing league. Prior to the no-contact penalties that were installed when Manning complained to the media, most teams were built on power running games and strong defenses. Uh, and as Steelers from the mid-90s were such a team... Um, so Neil O'Donnell was the signal caller. So he basically got the benefit of, you know, playing for a great defense. So, oh, this guy must uh, be really good. Um, so, but uh, he wasn't, uh, let's see here. Despite a poor showing on the world's largest stage, the Jets offered him a massive contract, five times five, uh, not a lot by today's standards. But per a random inflation calculator, I found via Google search, $25 million in 1996 is now worth about $41 million. <laughs> Uh, not a crazy sum, but, uh, you know, people didn't make as much back then as they do now. Uh, but anyway, he didn't win a single game in his first year with the team. He went 0-6, heaving seven interceptions to compare to only four touchdowns. His yards per attempt dropped to a horrific 4.9. Um, the next season he improved a bit, but, uh, you know, you don't want your head coach when you're struggling to be Bill Parcells. Right. And uh, so yeah. he, he benched O'Donnell in favor of some guy named Glenn Foley, and that was it. Um, then O'Donnell became a starter in Cincinnati, where he went 2-9. and nine. Then he became a backup for the Titans, and that is it. So Walt just concludes by saying, hopefully this lesson is something that all teams have learned. If two pedestrian players somehow battle each other in the Super Bowl... Avoid them at all costs. <laughs> yeah, that would have been Larry Brown for the Cowboys and Neil O'Donnell for the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl 30 down in Phoenix, Arizona. My number four all-time uh, National Football League worst free agent signings, number four on my list is Neon Dion Sanders, uh, Washington Redskins. Now, he's had the prolific career with, by this time with Atlanta and then traded to San Francisco went to Dallas, won Super Bowls in both of those stops. But in 2000, the Redskins signed Sanders to a seven-year, $65 million deal, which the team got a total of 38 tackles, one forced fumble, and four interceptions. Sanders would officially retire after that one season in Washington, but come back four years later as a member of the Baltimore Ravens. That's number four on my list. And it's number three on Walt's list, uh, predictably, Deion Sanders, seven years, 56 million. So <laughs> I love this, what Walt put here. He says, if Deion Sanders is reading this, I can imagine himself thinking in the th- in the first, well, he should have said third person here, but uh, basically this is what he thinks Deion Sanders would think to himself if he read Walter's book. Yeah. How is Dion going to be in the top five worst free agent signings when Dion is one of the greatest corners in the history of the game? Also, Dion is hungry, so Dion is going to go downstairs and grab himself a sandwich. What kind of sandwich is Dion going to eat? Dion is going to have to have to ask Dion what type of sandwich Dion is going to eat. Dion, what type of sandwich is Dion going to eat? Well, I don't know, Dion. Let's see what Dion has to say about that, Dion. So, 
Anyway, but he says it, basically it was clear that at 33 years old, Sanders had lost a step. Clear, that is, to everyone except Daniel Snyder, <laughs> who... who uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, when, when Walt really hates someone, he gets to his best stuff. Yeah. It was like Snyder snorted some cocaine and then fired up franchise mode in Madden. <laughs> um, the man was out of control and had absolutely no regard for the salary cap. It was like Oprah Winfrey. You get a big contract. You get a big contract. You get a big contract. Everyone gets a big contract. So, yeah, it's here. here's a list. This is great. Some of the early, when Daniel Snyder just took over and thought he was just going to buy his way to multiple Super Bowls all the time. Here are several of Snyder's gems. And keep in mind, some of these are great players, but just when and how much. Bruce Smith, five years, 23 million in 2000. Jeff George, four years, 18.25 in 2000. Lavernius Coles, five years, 35 million in 2003. Mark Brunel, seven years, 43 million in 2004. Adam Archuleta, six years, 30 million in 06. And Antoine Randall L., seven years, 31 million in 06. None of these players, however, made as much as Sanders and his $56 million contract over seven years. Despite signing a deal for seven seasons, Sanders hilariously played just one year in Washington, four picks, so which means that each pick cost Snyder $14 million. My number three name on this list of uh, the 10 worst free agent signings in NFL history, number three on my list goes to Namdi Asamoah. I think that's how yes. you say it. Yes, that is how you say it. Philadelphia Eagles. After three straight po- Pro Bowl seasons as a corner with the Oakland Raiders, a sum, a sum. Oh Jesus, I had it. No, a you had it. Asamoah. I know. Asamoah. It sounds like you're trying to like kiss, like right. Asamoah. Asamoah. Yeah. Or like the Charlie Brown teacher, which is actually just a trombone <laughs> with the plunger on the end. Moa, 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 moa. Yeah. Exactly. Asamoah was considered a prize-free agent in 2011. The Philadelphia Eagles must have thought so by giving him a five-year, sixty million dollar deal. He lasted only two seasons with the Eagles, who cut bait and released him after the 2012 season. Now, most famous for having married the beautiful actress, Carrie Washington. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, number two was in your, uh, I think it was in your number six mm-hmm. for Walter, which is uh, Javon Walker here. Yeah. And you already talked about him, so I'm just going to uh, say this. Uh, Walt said, this signing was similar to this fabricated conversation between two people with one trying to purchase a car from another. <laughs> this car is in shambles, I know. So this is the seller talking. This car is in shambles, I know. The transmission is shot, the radio doesn't work, the steering wheel won't turn left. I'll take it! <laughs> wait, 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 I'm not done. The windows don't roll down, the brakes don't work half the time, the air conditioning spews poisonous gas. I don't care, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I-, I can give you a major discount because one of the <laughs> wheels is missing, uh, the airbags won't deploy 9 out of 10 times, there's an AIDS needle in there somewhere I can't seem to locate. I don't care, I'll take it and I'll pay full price. <laughs> that that was uh, the negotiation that took place to get Javon Walker. And then I will just say my... That's per- pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I will just say my number two. And again, this is not all time. This is just a, in recent years since I've really been heavily into the NFL. I'll do my top two. My number two, I'm going to say, is not on on uh, on uh, Walt's list here, but it's Brock Osweiler. Four years times 18 million for 72 million for the Houston Texans. And uh, they knew before the end of year one that that was a mistake. Just because the guy is six foot eight doesn't mean he's a good quarterback. And uh, it's amazing. He, you know, Brock Osweiler is almost like Rick DiPietro in the NHL, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, it wasn't just he got lucky one. He got lucky repeatedly. Didn't got matter. Lucky three or four times. Yeah, didn't, didn't matter how bad he was. Like, just 
Like, DiPietro never should have been drafted first overall. Then never should have been given a big contract. Then never should have been given a 15-year contract. Like, he didn't earn any of it. Like, it didn't make any sense. It's just Charles Wang just loved the guy. And now, and then, uh, same thing with Osweiler. I mean, he never should have been drafted by the Broncos because, other than his height, John Elway liked a guy named Russell Wilson. And then, yeah. he, oh, but Russell Wilson's 5'11", and this guy's 6'8", so we'll take the 6'8 guy. Imagine where the Broncos would be right now with Russell Wilson in that defense. Gee, like, it's crazy to think about. And how an Elway would look like a genius. Instead of an idiot. And a quarterback whisper, oh, you know, he made Tebow look good for a while, and then he drafted Wilson. Man, John Elway's a genius. Like, he, if he would have just done that one different thing, would have altered the course of history. And then Osweiler goes, and he's terrible. They ship him off to Cleveland, who, like, needed to get to the cap floor, basically. And... It was just, it was ridiculous. Osweiler, totally useless, and he is gone, and I'm glad. And he made some obscene amount of money in his career, and it's sad. Well, funny you bring up the name Brock Asswiper, as we used yeah. to call him here on Unscripted, but Brock Osweiler is my number two mm. uh, all-time bust uh, for top uh, worst free agent signings in NFL history. Um, and here's my reason. The Texans signed the former Denver quarterback, as Chris just mentioned, to a four-year, $72 million deal in 2016, with $37 million of that $72 million guaranteed. That was Bob, the owner, Bob, uh, Bob McNair. Uh, McNair that you. was his biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he struggled mightily in his only season as a full-time starter, completing just 59% of his passes for fewer than 3,000 yards with 15 touchdowns and 16 INTs. Realizing the error of their ways, the Texans shipped Osweiler and draft picks to the Browns in 2017, saving them from honoring the duration of this very ugly contract. That is number two. Now for number one. Well... I'm pretty sure that all three of us have the same number one pick. And I mean, this one, I didn't even, you know, you didn't need to look it up. This is one, you know, where I think back and just springs to mind immediately. And I'm sure it's the same for all three of us. And of course, it's Albert Hainsworth, defensive tackle for the Redskins. Seven years, 100 million is unheard of to give. I mean, this is before quarterbacks were even getting 100 million. And this, Mm -hmm. then this guy is... What was he technically a nose tackle, I yep. guess? I think yep. he was, right? He yeah, was. He was Defensive tackle, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you could just go on and on and on and on about this guy. Um, I'll, I'll just say what Walt said. Hainsworth took the money and gave Washington nothing in return. He gained weight, fought with the coaching staff, complained about his usage in the 3-4 scheme, looked sluggish, and failed to perform. There was even one instance in which he remained on the ground during a live play and refused to get up because he was too lazy. Yep. You can find this clip on YouTube if you want a good laugh. Uh, sadly, Hainsworth was so out of shape that he couldn't even complete practice sometimes. He was asked to run wind sprints on two consecutive days in July of 2010, but couldn't finish them. He then had to sit out the following day of practice to rest his legs. He showed up, stayed for 10 minutes, and then left, according to the Washington Post. Hainsworth simply didn't care. He became lazy by his own admission following his retirement, and uh, his play dropped off as a result. Uh, Hainsworth tallied 6.5 sacks in two seasons before getting released. Each sack cost the Redskins $15.38 million. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was the guy, because he was the number one in mine as well. He was the guy that stomped on the head of then-Cowboys center Andre Garode. I remember the stomp, yeah. And he stomped on his head and got suspended for that. The Washington Redskins entering free agency in 2009, the former 
Florida State defensive tackle was considered the prized plum of the free agent class of this season, despite a long history of off-field incidents. That didn't deter Mr. Idiot Daniel Snyder in Washington to jump in and sign Hainsworth to a seven-year, $100 million deal. After problems with teammates, coaches, and anybody and everybody associated with the Redskins organization, the team cut their losses and shipped Hainsworth to New England for a fifth-round draft pick after two seasons in the U.S. capital city. And it's funny as we go through this, and um, and I mentioned this, but look at this. We look at these lists, both Walter's, mine, and yours, and think about it. The teams that we're talking about here, Washington Redskins, Cleveland Browns, San Diego Chargers. Chargers have had some success, but let's more concentrate on the Washington Redskins, the Cleveland Browns. Oh, there's the Washington Redskins again. Oh, there's the Washington Redskins Jeez. again. Oakland Raiders. I mean, these are teams, and, and, and again, I said this earlier, not to sound repetitive. It is still safer to build a franchise through the draft and development, and you use free agency yeah. to augment, not as your number one way for player acquisition, because then you get pieces of crap like the guys on this list that take advantage of it, and they get, literally, they get fat and sassy. And they lose their drive. They lose their determination. They're not strong enough mentally. And this is why teams, the good ones, the ones that are consistently good, the Patriots, uh, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Vikings, these are guys that traditionally, their first mode of player acquisition is through draft and development. And you see these teams that I've just mentioned, they augment with free agency. The teams that seemingly continually to throw bad money after bad money after bad money on these crappy contracts are the Clevelands, the Washingtons, the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders probably more during the Al Davis days, but it'll be interesting to see what the Raiders do because I think the Raiders are going to want to make a big splash next year in their new $2 billion palace in Las Vegas. Maybe the Raiders spend a little money to fill some of the holes that they need to fill on their roster, but Again, it's funny when you look at lists like this and you see the teams that are generally always at the bottom and always drafting high and they always screw it up. They make the same mistakes over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. They don't learn from their mistakes. And ultimately, that's why you have the Redskins, the Browns, the Chargers, uh, the, the uh, Texans continuously crappy and always in the running for the first overall draft pick. Yeah. So uh, I'll just say next week, because I think this is a fun weekly thing to do. I think you're enjoying it, and I'm enjoying it. So if you'd like to continue on with that, then next week we can do top five NFL what-ifs. So you take, Mm. and it can be anything. It can be like NFL what-ifs. So what if this team would have drafted this guy who was still on the board instead of passing and taking some other guy? And then like... For Walt's chapter, he goes way into the ripple effect. Like, so if this, what if this team had drafted this team? Like, what if the Green Bay Packers had drafted Barry Sanders instead of Tony Mandarich, right? Oh, God. And then you just, you look at that, not only for that, but then you look at the whole, well, what would have happened to the Detroit Lions then? And then if this team does that, and then you, it, it affects so many what other teams. What if in that 89 draft, Troy Aikman had ended up in Green Bay instead of Dallas? You never would have had Brett Favre in Green Bay. 
you probably never have Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You never have the Dallas dynasty. Correct. Like, I mean, it's just, right. there's a huge ripple. And, you know, we don't need to do all of that, but just come up with your what ifs. That's so, a good idea. I'll do that. What if? That sounds good. Yeah. So, because I love how open-ended. Now, I think as open-ended as that is, I bet there'll be one or two that will be crossover, whether it was me or Walt or you. Like, I think there, there's, a, there's one or two I can think of. Well, I've got one what if right now. Mm-hmm. Think about this. In the 19, I believe it was the 40s, 30s or 40s, um, Curly Lambeau is at the head of the Packers organization. And um, you will find this very funny and unbelievably. The Packers were about that close from from shutting their doors in whatever year this was. I think it was when Don Hudson was around, so that's the 40s. And Curly Lambeau went to George Hallis who, of course, Papa Bear, our hated rivals to the South, um, and got a loan so they could maintain their payments and make player payroll for the rest of the year. If George Hallis doesn't help Curly Lambeau and a guy by the name of George Calhoun in the Packers organization, there's a pretty damn good chance that the Green Bay Packers are done in the 1940s. Wow, that's amazing. Think about it. And, he, and like today, you'd think like Green, Little Green Bay would never get a team now. Well, they never would get a team now, for sure. Right, but, but I mean, now they'd, now they'd never lose the team. Well, but, true. But again, a lot of people don't know this, that yes, um, Green Bay is a town of 104,000 people. But what people don't realize that haven't been to Green Bay is that Green Bay is in the middle of what they call the Fox River Valley. And like you can be driving down 1265 Lombardi Avenue in Green Bay and you cross the street and you're into Nina, Wisconsin, or you, or you turn right and you're in Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin, or you turn left and you're in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. What I'm saying is there, all of these towns are divided. The town boundaries are just divided by streets. You go down Mike McCarthy way in Green Bay And on the north end of Mike McCarthy Way, you're in Green Bay. But on the south end of Mike McCarthy Way, you're in Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin. So, yes, the city of Green Bay is only 104,000 people. But when you put everybody together, and again, what they call the Fox River Valley, this is where they're famous for the making of paper products, toilet paper, Kleenex, all this other stuff. And they dump all their refuse into the Fox River. Okay, But all of these people, when you put all these different towns together, Nina, Menasha, uh, Fond du Lac, Sheboygan, uh, Little Shoot, uh, Combined Locks, Kimberly, all these cities together, there are well over a million people in the Green Bay area. So that's how the Packers survive today. That and having a, you know, an open ownership where people pay their money, they don't get stocks, but that's how the Green Bay Packers survive today. Because Chris is absolutely right. If you tried to start... A, a NFL team with a base population of 104,000, they wouldn't even look at your application. Um, we've got to run. Well, I've enjoyed this. I look forward to next week getting together and the NFL what if. I got some right off the top of my head that'll blow your mind. Um, what if Don Shula had not been fired by the Baltimore Colts after losing Super Bowl three? That was the most famous Super Bowl. If you remember, that's the Joe Namath oh, yeah, Super Bowl that. that they Even were. I know that one. Yeah. They were, I don't know, 16 point favorites. I don't know what it was. I they think, were yeah, supposed- I think it was 17 because it was 16 to 7. I think they, sco- 
Yeah. Well, no, they only scored seven, the losing team. Um, but yeah, they were favored by around the amount that the Jets scored, right. 16 or 17. And, yeah. And just, you know, and, and now Don Shula obviously didn't have anything to do. I mean, he prepared a game plan for a team that was supposed to kick the crap out of the upstart AFC or at that time, AFL New York Jets. And that's the one where Joe Namath made the proclamation. We are not only going to win the game, we're going to kick their ass. They ended up winning 16 to seven and changed the landscape of the NFL as we see it today. But ultimately, Don Shula was fired by the Rosenblum family after that game. Now, he technically wasn't fired. He left on his own accord to take the job down with the Miami Dolphins and start doing everything that he did so successfully down in South Florida. But just think about what if. If the Baltimore Colts win that game like they were supposed to do with Johnny Unitas and Earl Morrill and all the rest of those Hall of Famers on those great Baltimore Colts teams, I truly believe that Don Shula stays in Baltimore, and I truly believe that the Indianapolis Colts are still, to this day, in Baltimore. I, I believe oh, yeah. that. that. That's a great example of one, and I mean, there's. I, I like that with the what-ifs, it's a great idea for a list because there's, you can, you're, you're only limited by your imagination and your creativity because you can come up with like either well, an infinite number of no, no, not only, but then also I can use my forty-five to fifty years of worthless knowledge in my head, and uh, <laughs> I don't have to do a lot of prep work. It's all right here. It's all here in the. Well, under- it can it can be something that just bugged you or whatever. And but I will say, even if you're not a Packer fan, I I I just see there are so many obvious ones that apply to the Green Bay Packers, or at least have something to do with the Packers, that uh, I think anybody's list, even top five list, would include at least one or two entries that involve the Packers in some way. So it'll be interesting to see what you say, because it's going to be so open-ended. Whereas I enjoy the free agent signings list, but you're going to have a lot of crossover. Most people are going to have Albert Hainsworth number one. There's not a lot of suspense with that, but with the what-ifs, well, but see, and, and, and for me, the what-ifs will be interesting because the what-ifs will not be looking you know, through historical books or whatever or old stuff that I have packed away somewhere in a box. The what-if will come from my brain in regard to, and, and Chris made a perfect example of it, you know, you'll just be able to what maybe pissed me off, what maybe, you know, uh, it could be a little thing someone else didn't even think about, but just bugged the shit out of you. Exactly, exactly. Think about this. In the sixty, well, I'm getting, I'm getting excited already. But think about this in the '65 merger, when the AFL and NFL merged and made it two conferences. It made it into the NFL, but remember the NFC and the AFC were born out of the merge of the '65 when you brought in those, I don't know, six or seven teams from the old AFL. Oakland, Denver, the Boston Patriots at the time, yada, yada, yada. They brought them into the National Football League. But remember at the time when to make this happen, the Cleveland Browns, the Pittsburgh Steelers had to leave the AFL or the AFC or excuse me, the NFL, NFC and move to the AFC. The Pittsburgh Steelers originally were like the Packers, like the Detroit Lions, like the uh, Chicago Bears were in the NFL. And then when we had the merger in 65, Pittsburgh and Cleveland were kicked over to the AFL so you could have an even amount of teams. And that's the what if. What if the Green Bay Packers and the Pittsburgh Steelers played twice a year? They used to all the time. 
I'm looking forward to that already. Um, we've got a run on this 433rd episode of Unscripted. Had a lot of fun with the top 10 of the worst free agent signings in National League Football League history. And what they call in the radio business is a little teaser. When we get together next week, or whenever we get together, I know Chris is going on vacation next week, rightfully so, but whenever we get together, we will talk about the what-ifs, the top five what-ifs in National Football League history, according to myself, Chris, and also, obviously, Walter Cherpinski at WalterFootball.com. Having said all that, we've got to run. For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.